John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to, my fa- to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. We've been looking at this chapter now for several weeks, and if you've been here for any part of that time, you know that this is the last day in the life of Christ. He's hours away from being falsely accused and arrested and beaten and led to Calvary to be crucified. And when I think about that, I think, what would I maybe be doing? I mean, if I knew, if I knew that by this time tomorrow, I would have been betrayed, I would have asked my disciples to watch and pray and they all fell asleep. I would have had it be where this whole group of soldiers came and took me and I was, I was falsely accused and, and I was beaten. I mean, just knowing that the time was coming where a bag would be placed over my head and they would punch me over and over again saying prophesy, just mocking me, pulling my beard out, whipping me 39 times with a cat of nine tails, um, throwing a purple robe on me and, and mocking me as king of the Jews, leading me up to Calvary and as I carried that cross, n- nailing me to the cross through my hands and through my feet, um, being spit upon, And hanging there on the cross knowing that I'm taking the sin of the world upon myself. Like, what would I be thinking? Even if I just knew, like, tomorrow I was going to die in some way. It was going to happen tomorrow. What would I be doing today? Much less knowing that it was going to come with just incredible torture and taking the sin of the world upon Myself, which obviously as a person I could not do, but Christ knew the details. I mean, he, he knew the details of all of it all together. He knew exactly what it was that was going to happen to him. I mean, you look at just the prophecy that's given throughout the Old Testament, and it gives incredible detail of what was going to take place. Not only that, but he's been telling the disciples all the way through that the time has not yet come, and, you know, and now he's at, the time is at hand. He knows exactly what's going to happen, the time that it's going to happen, all these things that are going to occur. 
And the reason why I bring that up is because I want you to be able to see just the heart of our God during these last hours of his life. The, the heart of our God in, in whom you would think he would be at a place of just, can you guys just please minister to me right now? Like I've been ministering to all of you for the last three years. Could you please just minister to me right now? Because this is what is about to happen. And yet you see him looking upon these disciples, these 11 who are with him. And over and over again, he's giving them reasons to not let their hearts be troubled. He's looking at them knowing in, within hours, they are going to see me betrayed, taken away. They may look on from a distance and see me beaten, scourged. They're going to see all these things take place and what will go on in their minds. Is it possible that they're going to think every bit of our plans has fallen apart? We thought that he was the Messiah. We thought that he was in control. But now, look at him. They've won. They've taken him. And he's here just to prepare them. We know that they experienced many of those emotions, but he is there to just prepare them for his death and for his burial and for his resurrection. He's telling them, and we've looked at this already in our study in, in chapter 14, but that the Holy Spirit's coming. He begins here in verse 26 in our text for this morning saying, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Notice in that verse, just want to make a note. You see the three persons of the Trinity right there in that verse. You see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is there and, and he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to be given to you and He's going to teach you all things. He's going to teach you. He'll teach you all that you need to know pertaining to life and pertaining to godliness. And he's going to enable you to, to remember all things that I said to you. That This is important for them. I mean, you can think of three years of, of being with him and hearing him teach over and over and over again, hearing all that he said. And, and not only that, but they're going to go pen this in the pages of Scripture. I, I forget details all the time. I wish I, I wish I didn't. But my wife remembers all of them. <laughs> and I could tell, you know, she's like, well, you said this. And, I'm just, I, and I know, I, I know that she remembers. She'll just say it word for word what I said. I'm not like that. Um, you maybe are not like that as well. And more than likely, his disciples are not like that. They, they're thinking like, okay, what did he say again? And so they're there, and he's saying, I'm going to cause you to remember all things. I'm so thankful for this because these are the men that penned New Testament for us. Many of them. You see it in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness 
that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you think of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the preciousness of the gift is that we go through and we study the New Testament and the Old Testament as well. But we look in Scripture and it is exactly what God would want us to know as far as his revelation to us. So important for us to understand that. When it tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it means that it is God-breathed. It is exactly, exactly what God would desire for us to know. We believe wholeheartedly in the inspiration of Scripture, not only the inspiration of Scripture, but the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that God's Word is without error, that there is not error in His Word. It is perfect. It is perfect. To be able to have God's word and to know that it is authoritative, it matters to us. The versions of the scriptures, there's different Bible versions that exist. You'll have some that are more of a, of a narrative that just goes through and, and, and does more of like a commentary on it, something like a paraphrase such as the New Living Translation or the Living Bible or some of those versions where for me, like as a kid, I loved it because it made it so much easier for me to understand. But it would be a horrible version to teach through. The reason being is because it's, it, it paraphrases things. Um, for us, we, we recommend more versions that are what would be referred to as a little bit more what's called wooden versions or literal versions such as we use the New King James here. The ESV is very solid. The New American Standard Bible is a good version. The King James Version is a good version. The, the, these are some of the ones that, that would fall into that category of taking the Hebrew and the Greek and translating in such a way where they don't take the liberty to say, well, we think it's saying this. It's more so going through word for word what it says in the original languages. But when you look at it, the word that's before you, the trustworthiness of it. It's God-breathed. It's what he wants us to understand. It's what he wants us to know. And he enabled them to know these things. He taught them these things. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them the words to say. And for us, that should be something so powerful to us to look at the gift of the Holy Spirit and know he gave us his word and I can read it. And when I read his word, I can know that it's true. I can know that his promises are true. I can know that every word that is in there is such that it came from the very breath of our God. Holy Spirit inspired it. He taught them. We see this before Pentecost. Um, Peter takes Jesus aside after Jesus told him that he would be killed and raised on the third day. And Peter says, rebuking him, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Um, and Jesus returned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. We see just faith that is so small within Peter, but also him saying things that 
he ought not to say, not understanding what was going to take place. After Pentecost, though, you see a change that's taken place in Peter. When you look at the reality of what the Holy Spirit does for Peter as he preaches there, Pentecost, it's amazing. Um, Why don't you turn with me just for a moment to Acts chapter 2. Let's just read just a small portion of what took place. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. You can read the entirety of the chapter later on, but just get a, a feel for the same Peter that once said, Far be it from you, Lord, this will not happen to you. To Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, it says here, as Peter's preaching, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among, among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Radical impact, isn't it? I mean, you, you see what takes place as Peter's preaching. You have these people who were there either crucifying Jesus or being there to witness this take place. And here's Peter, and he preaches to them. Through the preaching of the word, as, as he's speaking truth, as he's remembering all that Christ had taught him, as the Holy Spirit's teaching him all things, he's going through and showing them in Scripture how it is that Jesus is the Christ. And it tells us that as a result, they were cut to the heart. It just went right through them. They, they heard it and it affected them in the most incredible way. To think of when it is that you got saved. If you are here this morning as a believer, think of what it was like when you got saved. What, what took place within your heart is maybe you just had this heart of stone and, and you, you wanted nothing to do with the things of God, but God, the Holy Spirit, worked so mightily in your heart that there came this point in your life where God saved you. Cut you to the heart. You came to a place of, recognizing that you're a sinner, recognizing that you serve a holy God, recognizing that you're in desperate need of a Savior. And it was God that did that. It was the Holy Spirit that did that to where your response was maybe like these people saying, well, what do we do now? What do we do? How is this going to change my life? How can I serve now? And then it tells us that they gladly received his word. 
they gladly were baptized. And 3,000 souls were added to the church. He preaches a sermon and 3,000 people come to know Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of God doing something amazing in people's lives. That is the work of someone proclaiming the truths that the Holy Spirit taught them and speaking it and watching God just work mightily. One of my favorite times in church history is the Great Awakening here in our country and what took place in England and other parts of Europe. Great Awakening that took place where you had men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and others who were there and they were just going out. There's no microphone. There was preaching that took place in the streets. Preaching that took place as people would gather together, hundreds of them or thousands of them, listening to the word be proclaimed. You read through some of the sermons because they would write them out. If you have time to go through and read through something like Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, um, read it. Take time. It's, just, it's a sermon that he preached in Enfield, Connecticut. Became the most printed sermon in the history of the world, with the exception of what's found in Scripture, like the Sermon on the Mount. All over our nation, that sermon got printed and sent out. And I read it in high school. I read it in my English class, an excerpt from it. And I remember the teacher just saying, this guy, he's angry. He's like a hellfire and brimstone kind of guy. And he's just, all he's talking about is the wrath of God. And I remember thinking like, oh, he must have been really a mean guy, you know. And then I started reading through it. And then I read through the entire, the entire sermon. And it, it's not an angry man. It's a man that's there saying, God is a holy God. You are not. Like he's, whole, it's as if you're, you're hanging over the fires of hell by, a, by a, a spider web and he could let you go at any moment, but by his grace he has not. And he calls them to repentance. He's like, it's a miracle that you have not been consumed already. And it tells us that as a result of the sermon, people just started weeping. Other people fainted as they're hearing this. But multitudes of people got saved. As they read the sermon, multitudes of people got saved. I, I went back to that same English teacher, and I'm like, man, you, you said that it was such a bad sermon. It's an awesome sermon. Like, and I started to tell her what was so awesome about it, and she said, can you come back? You're like an expert on Jonathan Edwards. Can you come back and teach all the English classes about Jonathan Edwards? And I'm like, absolutely. So I did for like three years, but then they realized I was just preaching the whole time. But for like three years, I was the expert on Jonathan Edwards at Chirica Hills High School, just going through and saying, like, this is what he was saying, you know. They're like, she's like, can you believe it? We found someone that likes this angry man, you know. And I just would go through and say why it is that it's grace that he's preaching. But they figured me out. But you read through some of those sermons, and they're long, and they're detailed, and it's profound as far as the thoughts that are being proclaimed and it's coming through God's word and the result was you guys it changed our nation it changed our nation 
You have schools that are popping up all over the place as a result of the Great Awakening. People radically changed. But it was a result of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of these people to teach them and to watch them faithfully proclaim God's word. I pray for that for our country today. I pray that there be a great awakening that takes place to churches that are asleep, to churches who have very little affections for Christ and the gospel, that we would awaken, that it would be here at Reverence Bible Church as well as throughout our country. It would be in your heart a great awakening that would take place that would cause you just to treasure the things of Christ and have such confidence in God's word. And the Holy Spirit teaches you to where there's just this joy that comes over you to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And then just watch the Lord work and cut through the hearts of people who have incredibly hard hearts and watch them come to salvation. He has done it throughout all of history. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. It's the Holy Spirit who cut through your heart and brought you to salvation. You see the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in their lives to where they just continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. This mattered to them. They became Christians and it was, let's, let's be together. Let's study God's word Together. Let's have fellowship together. Let's break bread together. Let's pray together. They sold the things that they had and just helped one another. It's amazing to watch the Holy Spirit work in that way. I, I, I can think of one family in our church that thought of someone else in the church and said, I want to give towards that person right there. I, I think they need help. And they did. Made a note on the check for this person. The next day, we found out, without even seeking out that person, that there was incredible need that that person had that next day. As it came to us. It wasn't orchestrated by us. It wasn't planned by us. We just, we just got a check in the offering. And, and it went towards that person to help them at the most critical time that they could possibly need it. They went to them. And I just watched the Lord work that way, where it's the Holy Spirit putting it upon people's hearts to minister to one another. Them saying, I don't want anybody to know who gave this, but can you just give it to that person? And the Holy Spirit's just orchestrating it, and God gets all the glory for it. It's the way the Holy Spirit works in people's lives, is they just give and say, I I want to love the people that are around me. May God do that in us. May the Holy Spirit work in us to make it so that the effect is hearts that just desire to bless those that are around us. Maybe not financially, maybe financially, but maybe in a place of, I just, can I pray for you? Do you want to go get coffee? Do you want to come over and have dinner with us? Can we spend time together and loving one another? The Holy Spirit also teaches us and enables us to remember and proclaim the truth of what he taught us in Scripture. 
Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me read this for you. It says, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't come to you, Paul says, with just excellence of speech. I didn't come to you with incredible wisdom of my own. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here's the apostle Paul just talking and saying, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't come to you with just this incredible wisdom. I wasn't someone who's just this dynamic speaker that just came and just convinced all of you. I, I was a little guy that was heavyset with a little crooked no, nose and no one thought much of me is, is, is what the Apostle Paul would have said. I just came and, and this is, it wasn't with excellence of speech, but I, I preached Christ and him crucified. I, I was determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I kept it as simple as possible, like Jesus Christ and him crucified. How is it that you're saved? Jesus Christ and him crucified. How is it that you live a godly life? Jesus Christ and him crucified. I pointed you to the cross all the time, and it wasn't my speech. It wasn't my preaching. It wasn't persuasive words of human wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. It was the Holy Spirit that was doing the work in their lives. Even in Jonathan Edwards' sermon on the or, uh, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in that, in that sermon, it tells that he just read it. He just read it because he didn't want it to be where his excellence of speech was that which was convincing them to follow Christ. He just, just sat and just read it. In a monotone fashion, just read it. And people just started fainting and falling down and weeping. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does it. For me, that gives me great confidence as I'm here to proclaim God's word to you on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. But it should also give you great confidence when you're thinking like, I can't do that. I'm not, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not like this great evangelist. I can't go and... To be able to know that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches you, that enables you to remember things, the Holy Spirit that is working in somebody's heart to bring them to salvation, that it's not based on your cleverness. It's not based on your wisdom, but it's based on the Holy Spirit that it has the ability to soften hearts and regenerate people. It's him that does that. It should give us just great boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that specifically points us towards Christ. In John 15, verse 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, Christ says. He will point you to me. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. You study through Scripture, and you see Christ in Scripture. If you're ever blessed to be able to, to sit under Pastor Don Smith as he teaches through the Old Testament. What a radical thing it is to be able to watch how he proclaims God's word through the Old Testament. And it's like, it's as clear as it could possibly be Christ and him crucified throughout the Old Testament. It's amazing to be able to go through and and to watch the Holy Spirit take 
his word and just point us directly towards our Savior over and over again. From there, Jesus says to the disciples in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus is hours from going to the cross. And he's talking about leaving the disciples peace and giving the disciples peace as they live on after he dies on the cross. I want you to have peace. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to leave you peace. We think about peace. Maybe some of you remember the, the old bumper stickers that would say, visualize world peace. You could visualize it all you want, but it cannot come apart from God doing that work. In, in South Sudan, I, I served there for a number of years, as many of you did as well with me. But we saw horrible war in South Sudan. Churches being bombed on a regular basis. Starvation that was caused by them displacing people all over. Them burning the crops and taking all their cooking utensils and poisoning the water systems with the dead bodies being thrown in the wells. We, we saw horrific suffering there. And I, I remember saying, I, just, I pray that there's peace in South Sudan. Peace in the nation of Sudan. In, I think it was 2005, John Garang, the leader that was of the rebel troops in South Sudan for, since 1983 till then, um, they finally came to a peace agreement between the North, the government of Sudan, and the South. And they said, come up and be our vice president. This man who's been leading these rebel troops against the North for all this time, and from 83 to 2005, and it was just looking at us thinking like, man, I don't see how this is going to go well for him to go to this country where there's this Sharia law taking place, and he's a Christian, and he's going to go up there, and he's going to, be vice president there, and yet everybody was rejoicing. And there's this, the, the nation is coming together. There's going to be peace. There's a peace agreement. And in less than three weeks, he died in a helicopter accident. And many would say it wasn't an accident. Horrible. I think of his wife. I met her. I took, I took his son jet skiing right out here in Dana Point Harbor. Spent time with these people. They wanted peace. Since Sudan, South Sudan became its own nation, there has just been fighting ever since there. They finally became their own nation, and there's just been fighting ever since. Thousands upon thousands of people killed. Over a million people displaced in these years since they got their independence. You're not going to find peace in this world. These people... We, we can't find peace in our own hearts. You think of this just 2016. First week of 2016, North Korea says that it successfully tested its first hydrogen bomb. They're not doing that for peaceful reasons. You, you look at this last week, January 12th, 11 tourists were killed by a suicide bomber in Turkey. January 14th, four civilians were killed by suicide bombers and additional shooters at a Starbucks and Burger King in Jakarta, Indonesia. 
January 15th, 28 people were killed and 56 were injured in a hotel in Burkina Faso in Western Africa. As I was typing this out, I look on the news. Over 300 people killed today by ISIS in Syria. Most of them were women and children and elderly people. 300 people today. These are the last four days. There's no peace. I think of the attack that took place in Burkina Faso on January 15th. 28 people killed, 56 injured. And one of them was an American missionary, Mike Rittering, from Florida. They sold everything they had, him and his wife. They moved there to minister to widows, to take in orphans, to preach the gospel. I went on the website, looked at the website, and looked, and it was a solid ministry that they were a part of there. Just sold everything to go serve there. I looked on his wife's Facebook page. You can see just going through, like, we can't find him. Someone, our friend called using my husband's phone, but we don't know where my husband is. Be praying, be praying, be praying. And then comes the news that her husband was killed. Four kids that they have. Husbands killed. Listen to what the wife says, though. This is what I cut and pasted from her Facebook page. She says this yesterday. Heaven has gained a warrior. I know God has a purpose in all things, but sometimes it is a complete mystery to me. My best friend, partner in crime, and love of my life, the best husband ever, an amazing father to his children, and papa to everyone. My heart is so heavy, and I am having trouble believing he is gone. Mike was an example in the way he lived and loved. God be glorified. Mike Rittering, I will love you always. You left quite a legacy here. I can only imagine the adventures you are having now. It is the Holy Spirit that enables a wife and mother to say something like that. It's the Holy Spirit that takes a woman and brings her to a place of God be glorified in this. I can only imagine the adventures you are having now. Picturing him in heaven. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And it radically affects the believer, doesn't it? There's two kinds of peace, specifically, that we find in Scripture. One is a peace that comes to us as a result of what Christ has done for us through the cross, as far as having peace with God. In Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so we have 
this peace that comes as far as peace with God. That's big for us this morning. To think that you are no longer an enemy of God, to think that you're no longer afar off, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Your sins have been washed away. Your sins which kept you from a holy God. Your sins which, have, which, which would have cast you for all eternity in outer darkness and hell. To think that you now have peace with God because of what Christ has accomplished for you. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Radical. But we also have a peace that comes as far as having a peace that's a result of the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives to give us peace like Mike Ritter and his wife had in times of just incredible trial. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A peace that enables us to stand in the midst of trials. Jesus is preaching this, sharing this with the disciples, proclaiming this when he is about to go through the most radical trial that anybody could ever possibly experience. And he's saying, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives My peace I give to you. He's about ready to go to the cross, and Jesus is saying, I am going to give you peace. Disciples, when you want to just fall apart, I am going to give you peace. Christ left his peace with us by several different things. One, by knowing that we are right with God, we're justified by faith knowing that our sins are forgiven, knowing that we're right with God, no longer that, knowing that we're no longer under the wrath of God and that God sees us as having the perfect righteousness of Christ, that gives us peace. But he also gives us incredible peace as we trust in his sovereignty, doesn't he? Being in a, in, in a, a position of just knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that he's in control. Someone from the church last week and had a tumor that they didn't know whether it was cancerous or not and asked for the elders to pray for her. And we did. And it came back Friday that there was no cancer there. And I started thinking about it, just thinking, well, it may have been that there was no cancer there. But it also may have been that God just, it was full of cancer, and God took it away. We don't, we don't know exactly. But there's times where it is cancer, and there's times when it's not cancer. But to be in a place of, I trust him, though. I trust him. He's good. He's sovereign. He knows the number of my days. He loves me. He has a plan in all that takes place. He has a plan. To, to be in a position of just knowing, like, the God of this universe is in control. We can trust him. 
He gives us peace that he'll be our provider. He assures us that he'll never leave us. He tells us that he hears our prayers. He tells us that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. And we know that he's gone to prepare a place for us and he'll return in his perfect timing. He enables us to have a peace that the world cannot understand. Because we know that our God is sovereign. We know that he is good. We know that he is all-powerful. We know that he loves us. We know that he delights in doing good to us. We know that, that he is a God who is molding us and shaping us into his image. We know that we serve a God who began a good work in us and he'll be faithful to complete it. We know we serve a God who's so big that, that he tells us there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. We serve a God who says, there's no one that can stop my hand. There's no one that can say, what are you doing? There's no one that can thwart my will. I am God. I do whatever I will to do, both in heaven and on earth. That is the God that we serve. And as a result, you see Christ just having complete peace as he's about ready to go to the cross. And that same God gives us that peace as we go through incredible trials. And it's the Holy Spirit that ministers that to us. What a precious gift we have. Amen. Verse 28, Jesus says, You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. Jesus said to the disciples, You know I've told you I'm going away, but I'm coming back. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced at that. If you understood this, and loved me, you would rejoice in what I just said because I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. See, Jesus had laid aside his glory while he was here on earth, but now he was returning to glory. So rejoice in that, he's saying. I laid aside my glory, but now I'm going back to my Father and I will once again have that glory again. The disciples should be rejoicing that Christ is about to return to the Father to have all the glory and honor that he had from all eternity past. A parallel passage to this would be found in Philippians 2.5. Let me just read it to you. Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Okay? So, there's some that would look at that passage there in John 14.28, where it says, For my Father is greater than I and missed the entire point of that passage. He tells us in Philippians 2, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him And given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A parallel passage that you can look at and see, like, clearly, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. But he is equal with the Father, and God has exalted him to that place once again. In verse 29, John says, It says here, from our Lord, Jesus says, And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. 
Now know this over and over again. It says this in scripture where Jesus says, I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe. We've spent a, a considerable amount of time on this as we've studied through the Gospel of John, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that are given, given exact detail of how it was going to take a place. I mean, incredible detail that God gives us. Where Jesus would be born, where he would be buried, how he would die. Incredible details, the exact time that this would take place. Details that are given, hundreds and hundreds of them, so that when it happened, you would believe. And we do. Jesus says to them, I will no longer talk much with you, for the, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So the time's coming where we're not going to have the opportunity to talk like this anymore. Why? Because he's going to the cross. For the ruler of this world is coming. More than likely, Satan has already worked in Judas's heart. They're already on their way. They're coming to arrest him, to betray him, and to, to bring false accusations against him, and then to crucify him. But just the, the strength of our God, we're not going to talk very much coming up pretty soon, because the ruler of this world is coming, Satan. You know what? He has nothing in me. He has no claim on me. He has no power over me. I'm not going to fall into sin. He can't stop what's about ready to happen. He doesn't even know the implications of what the cross means. He has no power over me. He has no claim on me. He cannot stumble me in any way. But he's coming. But that the world may know that I love the Father. As the Father gave me commandment, so I do. So that everybody knows that I love the Father, Jesus says. And the Father gave me the commandment. God's called me to do this, and so I do. And then he just says to them, arise, let us go from here. He's totally sovereign. He's totally in control. He knows what's going to happen. And he is telling them, okay, get up. Let's go now. And he's about to go to the cross. We'll see him continue to minister to them in chapter 15 and following. But now is the time where he's just, it's time. Arise. Let's go. That is the God that we serve. A God who loves us. A God who's in control. A God who's sovereign. A God who has a plan. A God who gives us a peace that would pass all understanding. And a God that is in the hours prior to his crucifixion. And he spends his time ministering to his disciples. He is a God to be treasured this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we know who it is that we serve and we find you to be more precious than anything else in this universe. We praise you, Jesus, this morning. Thank you for the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for teaching us Thank you for bringing things to remembrance for us. Thank you for enabling us to have peace with you, Lord, and enabling us to have peace which would pass all of our understanding. 
Thank you for showing us your power and your control over all things and your willingness to go to the cross because of the great love with which you've loved us. May may it just stir within the hearts of your people on this morning incredible adoration towards our Savior as we close in song. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.